Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Kitty Martone on us, with us, aka Healthy Gut Girl, and she is the creator of the Total Gut Makeover, author of the Gut Health Diet for Beginners and Four Week Gut Health Plan, and host of the podcast, Stuff Your Doctor Should Know. Kitty is a holistic health educator and an investigative journal health journalist. So welcome to the show today, Katie. Kitty. Thank you. Kitty, 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 call me what you want. Healthy girl. I know. (laughs) I was like, well, I'm like reading the the intro that I'm like, oh, and now Mm -hmm. all over. We're ready to rock. So I would, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you interested in gut health? Because usually there's a story there of how people Mm -hmm. kind of get into the field they're in. I know, right? It's like, especially practitioners, they definitely have a history that led them, right? They have a story. Um, I was very sickly little kid. I was the last of, of, well, four, um, four children. And uh, that's usually like the kid that has like, um, you know, the gets the last of the nutrients from mama and it's like the runt. And that was me. And uh, I was born a little, a little too soon and had all these health challenges, ear, nose and throat, all the stuff that so many moms are familiar with these days more than ever. And then got into puberty, got much worse. And then just spent my young adulthood and young life on medications for all kinds of different things. And then, you know, just reached a point where I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I I was taking meds to offset the side effects from other meds. And I started to just being the, the journalist or the seeker, the truth seeker that I am just like, there has to be a better way. And yeah, that's kind of it. I moved to Los Angeles from New Mexico and um, was really difficult for me to hold down like a normal job because I was always battling autoimmune stuff and different types of viral infections that I was dealing with my whole life. And then ended up uh, meeting my husband, who's a chiropractor, and seeking out like acupuncture and you know Reiki, energy healing, and all these different types of modalities of healing. And when I met him, I was completely blown away because he was practicing a type of chiropractic that I had never heard of or seen, which was including, you know, nutrition. And he was practicing on pregnant women. He was practicing on infants. He had a huge demographic of children who were disabled and vaccine injured and all kinds of, I had never knew someone like this existed. And it just opened my eyes. We fell in love and that's a whole other podcast. And we, we fell in love and we, and we, I decided I wanted to just change my, my career path. And I wanted to start to help people and help myself. And, um, and that's kind of it. And because he, I, I went to school, I started studying nutrition and because he was in that specific field of pregnant women, women who were trying to get pregnant and children with disabilities, my line of work gravitated towards that. And it's really hard to help these children unless you know how to work with the gut. And I learned that right away. You know, you can't put them on diets. You can't put them on, on you know, special supplement re- regimens because they're, they can't do it. So you have to find ways to work with their food. And that was all about gut health. And that just completely blew open my whole world, including my own health. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Oh, well, that's so interesting that you said that about the, the youngest child having the health issues. Cause I'm, I'm the oldest of four and I have three younger brothers and my little brother, the same, like his gut health is not good. Like the other three of yeah. us are all pretty good, but like him, I remember him as a baby, even having to be taken into Mayo, you know, since I'm in Minnesota, my parents had to bring him in and, you know, 
my mom's like, I don't know what's going on because none of you guys had these issues. And still now as an adult, he still has gut health issues. So that's interesting that you say that. So if there are, you know, maybe mama's listening and they're like, Ooh, you know, maybe they're expecting their third or their fourth child right now. What are some tips for them, you know, during pregnancy that they can kind of maybe have that not happen or, you know, reduce the effects for the child? I love this question because it's such a simple answer. Um, I saw this quite famous acupuncturist who was worked in fertility um, uh, many years ago. And when I was working on my own fertility, because side note, I never really balanced that and mm-hmm. we are childless. So I spent my you know whole fertile um, part of my life working on trying to get pregnant and it just, you know, to no avail. So I'm able to use all this information that I learned on what not to do particularly. So this acupuncture, I was acupuncturist that I was seeing, she said um, a lot of good things, but one of the things she said is the, the top two things that reasons women don't fall pregnant is because um, they don't eat enough. Mm. that most women just don't feel themselves enough. And they feel like, oh, but I love food. I love it so much. And, you know, yeah, I skip breakfast, but then I, you know, then I have a solid good couple of snacks. I'm running out the door with my kids or I'm going to the gym or whatever. And, you know, I have a a protein shake and a protein bar. And then, you know, I, I know I have some nuts and I always have some carrots in my bag. And, and then I get home and I have a huge dinner and I'm stuffed and I, and then I have a snack after dinner. That is not a proper way of fueling yourself. You know, she's talking about ongoing fueling your body prior to even getting pregnant. She's like, it's one of the reasons women deal with hormone imbalance to begin with. You need those healthy fats and cholesterol foods that really build up your ability to make the hormones to begin with. So that is her big thing. She's like, so once you do get pregnant, And then you're on your third child and you breastfed them all. And now you're going to make another human. She's like, chances are you yourself are on some level of starvation, like slow, low grade starvation. So you're not able to produce milk. You're not able to um, do all the things that you need to do, you know? So, so the baby comes out nutrient deficient, probably a little bit of adrenal fatigue already because you were stressed and utilizing baby's adrenals throughout your pregnancy. So the baby's already done. (laughs) The baby's like, I need a nap and I need a spa. And so, you know, that's the big thing is the, is the fueling the body. I think I said there was, she said the second thing was um, a progesterone deficiency Hmm. was her second reason women don't fall pregnant. Um, Progesterone imbalance. And that just goes to speak to a whole bunch of other, right. Hormone imbalances that you're, very familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. So feeding ourselves. So that would be the thing, just making sure you're eating throughout the day, healthy, nutrient dense foods. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that I've seen because I have, um, that I come from kind of the Ayurvedic side of things. And when we look at pregnancy, you know, people are like, Oh, like you have like a six month protocol before you even try to conceive. I'm like, yeah, you know, I think that's something that in the West, we don't take into account at all, you know, but I'm like, if you're coming into the pregnancy depleted and say, you know, I just had this with a client, um, you know, the baby just took all of the nutrients from her. So she was sick the entire pregnancy. And so she mm-hmm. was done by the time the baby arrived and then, yeah. you know, boom, she's pregnant again, super, super depleted now going into the second pregnancy. Um, cause there was very minimal time in between. And so those are the little things that we don't always take into account or don't understand 
what's, what's actually happening to our bodies. And then again, potentially to our child, you know, from that, you know, nutrient deficiency that we have. I mean, so important and little thing, little things that have massive impact. You know, you just reminded me of a client that I have who I think it's her third baby and he's already four and she's still trying to breastfeed and her hormones, and there's nothing wrong with that. Her hormones and her, you know, her system is so out of whack and she's, you know, she's trying to get a supplement for this imbalance and this imbalance in her own body and still trying to give her child what he needs or what she feels he needs and, and her and, you know, doing it from a place of deficit and it's difficult. It's hard for me to just, you know, incur it. And what happens when you're, when you as an adult are in that space of deficiency it's going to trigger all of your autoimmune. It's going to trigger new things. It's going to make you, you know, your immune compromised to some degree, more susceptible to illness and things. So it's a, it's like you said, it's like these little things we can be doing that have massive impact on so much. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of back up and start with kind of gut health. And I think we all heard that term, you know, gut health, but maybe people need it defined. Like what, what does that mean if you have good, a good, healthy gut? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's see. So, uh, when I learned about it, which was, it's still, it hadn't had the light shined on it quite like it, like it is right now. It's kind of a household name. Now the, the whole uh, word, you know, the whole gut health concept and microbiome and probiotics and prebiotics. And when I first heard it, it was put to me in terms of that. We are more, um, we are more, uh, microbial cell than we are human cell. And so most of the the critters we have living in us are, there are more of them than there are of human cell of us. And they, they, we're their host and we, we need them to thrive and they need us to thrive. And so it's this symbiotic relationship that we have to support. And it's like, wait a minute, what critters, bugs, they're all, there's this like beautiful ecosystem inside of us. Most of it is in the gut, but a lot of it is on us and our eyelids or toenails and also in our respiratory tract, anywhere that there's air pretty much. And so we have like a sack of potatoes, like three to five pounds of mass of these microbes that live in us and they govern everything. Not one metabolic decision is made in the body without their deciding that it's going to be made. So really we're just this meat suit being operated by these microbes. And that blew my mind because then I started to think in terms of like, how do we support? It's like, you know, your garden, we look at the garden, we think, oh, I'm growing carrots and I have these roses. And we think that that's the garden, but really it's not. That's just the fruit of the garden. That's the fruit of the labor. What really is the garden? Like we, our bodies are the fruit of the labor of these microbes. And we have to find ways to harmonize that and to keep this ecosystem running well, because it's not all good guys. It's like 80% beneficial microbes. And then it's something like, you know, 20%, but within that 20, there's like neutral guys and opportunistic ones that will go wherever they're needed. And then there are pathogens like E. coli and staph and pneumonia that live in us that are supposed to be there and have a job. And so like H. pylori is one of my favorites because people are like, I have H. pylori. And the doctor gives you the impression that you caught H. pylori from like some bad spinach, but it's really this pathogen, this bug that lives in the lining of our stomach that has a job 
and that is it lives really well when your hydrochloric acid in your stomach is, is adequate and balanced. And then when we have depleted HCL in our stomach, the, 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 the um, H. pylori starts to grow and become an infection. And so what do we do? We give it antibiotics and we kill them. And we're like, oh, I needed those. So we have to find a way to maneuver around that, not killing them, but still making their environment you know, habitable for that particular pathogen, right? Quote, unquote. So it's so fascinating. I think I kind of ran off, went off the rails there, but basically the gut is, is our immune system. It's our, um, it's our, our mood. It's how we face the world, go out into the world and how we receive information. It's our enteric nervous system. It's our second brain. Yeah. Yeah. And wasn't there, I mean, I think this was years ago, there were studies that came out that said people that you know, the mass shootings that happen, they all had like bad gut health. Like there was some tied to gut health and then the mental health piece of people doing things like this. And I, I mean, this came out years ago. I think when I first started the podcast, I remember reading that I'm like, wow, that's just fascinating that, you know, the gut health plays such a role in our lives that we don't even think when you said mood, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I know it is, but then until you yeah. mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about yeah. that for, you know, you second. reminded me of a study of they did on some infants where they said that depression can be detected in, in infants. Like is, wow. I think it was, I want to say eight months or four months. It was wow. young. And I'm like, how, like, how can they be depressed? Like what's going on? Like they, you know, they, did they just get fired from their job at Best Buy? Like how, what's, how can an eight month old, four month old, besides some obvious things like major trauma, right? Yeah. Major trauma, but just like the average sort of, you know, healthy baby, how are they presenting with depression, signs of depression at that age? And this is what uh, exactly what you said, that they're, they're having gut dysbiosis at that young, young age. And we have so, and the gut brain connection, gut and psychology syndrome, right? The, the, the book, The Gaps Diet, written by um, Natasha McBride, who was the doctor who made that correlation between children with autism and um, and, and gut dysbiosis. And that, what a, what a, you know, revolutionary concept that was. And then Donna Gates took that even further. She wrote the body ecology diet and started to remediate these children who had not just autism, but who had, um, uh, ADHD, depression, night terrors, you know, just behavioral disorders slightly in the spectrum who then could go on to be severely medicated as young adults and then make their way into society. And then who knows what could happen, like you mentioned with the shootings and whatnot, but she would remediate their guts through diet, through fermented foods, through different type forms of um, breath work and things like this mm -hmm. and remarkable things could happen. So yeah, the gut and the brain and mood and yeah, so important and intrinsically connected. Yeah. I would love to chat about kind of gut health and hormones. And in particular, this is one that I've, you know, kind of seen come up now and again, um, you know, right before people have, you know, their period before they're bleeding, people are like, oh, I get constipated, you know, maybe that week before, or a few days before, um, you know, and that's, I mean, it's, that's normal, but you know, it doesn't need to per se happen. Um, mm -hmm. you know, do you have any tips for people who might be struggling, you know, with things like that? Yeah. I mean, people don't, I, I know I didn't, I would always get these like, like low back period cramps or, you know, like period poops where you're yep. just like, like achy, you got to poo. And, and, it, and what's happening is, you know, so much of what uh, of hormone production happens in the gut. 
and so much of so many brain chemicals are produced in the gut. So there, there again is that correlation with the brain and gut and psychology. But so if you already have some gut dysbiosis, so gut dysbiosis is characterized as, you know, um, uh, an imbalance in dige the digestive process. So, you know, you can be having that when you eat or away from food, it can look like bloating, it can look like constipation, it can look like skin issues. It had the, the list of things that can happen when you've got gut imbalances, as you probably know, is just really, really long. And so, you know, if you have that digestive um, imbalance from childhood or for infancy, like we were just talking about, and you get in up into your puberty time when you're now your gut is not meant to only be producing, um, doing all the things it's meant to be doing uh, for you. Now you're in your pubescent years and now it's, it's in overdrive. Mm -hmm. And so it's compromised already. So, um, you know, I always start with, with any digestive issues, but with hormones is what are you eating? How are you digesting it? So even before we even say, okay, let's take away your poor diet let's just digest what you're eating first. Let's do that. Like, okay, say you're having, uh, I don't know, burritos every afternoon. Let's, let's make sure that, that, your, that your lunch is being properly chewed, properly broken down, digested, disinfected, which is what that hydrochloric acid is meant to do, as well as break down animal proteins and get that food into your bowel being properly absorbed, the nutrition from it being, you know, properly utilized. And then the waste matter from that being excreted in a decent transit time. So your motility is not slow. All of that process is going to have an effect on all of your health challenges, but hormones in particular, it's going to really help you to um, have a smoother hormonal cycle. But also, you know, you probably know a lot about this is the astrobolome, which I only learned about like four years ago, which is a colony of microbes that live in our bowels called astrobolome, not, you know, no coincidence there because it processes estrogen and it, it eats it and it clears it. And these are, these are those microbes. Part of that sack of potatoes we have in there is just like three to five pounds. Some of that is this colony of these beautiful microbes that help you metabolize and excrete estrogen. And so, and guess what they eat? Prebiotic fiber. That's scary. 65% of Americans, probably more now, are deficient in prebiotic fiber. And a lot of people have SIBO and can't even eat fiber. So now they have to like modify that and get supplements to do so. And so many people are on keto and not having any carbohydrate and, and avoiding fiber. And so now we, our period comes and our body's like, oh gosh, and our, you know, our bowels, like there's no estrobolome, they're all extinct or they're fast asleep and they have, they're starving and there's nothing to process that. So we start to recycle those estrogens back into the system and we start collecting them and they start going to places like our breast tissue and our ovaries. And now we've got fibroids and polyps and now we've got clotting and our blood gets stagnant, our liver gets stagnant and we're starting to pass the syrupy blood type of stuff. And that's all just slowing our bowel and our digestion down further. It's this vicious cycle, you know? digestion where it begins really. Oh yeah. And Ayurveda digestion. Yeah. I always say digestion is all, all about it, right? <laughs> yes. Ayurveda really helped me tremendously in the beginning of my journey for sure. Yeah. I love it. So you had so many threads that I was like, oh, 
you know, want to kind of go down. And the first one, because I have also seen kind of an increase in this or people talking about it, but maybe again, don't quite know what that means, but estrogen dominance, you know, what does that present like in your body? And then if people are like, oh, that's happening to me, what are some ways to kind of balance that? Mm-hmm. Well, estrogen dominance is a funny name because it doesn't always mean that you have too much estrogen, right? It's all about the ratios. I have, I, I do the, I offer the Dutch, right? The, the, the precision analytical um, dried urine test. comprehensive yeah. lab. It's wonderful. And I offer that to clients and I, that talk about a learning, you know, curve and, a, and an eye-opening experience to, to start to look at people's labs who are like, I, having massive estrogen issues, you know, like swollen breasts and just like the stuff we just mentioned. And they're like, I'm definitely estrogen dominant. And then you look at their labs and they're almost undetectable levels of estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. Wow. But the little bit of estrogen they're having is dominating progesterone at all times. Mm-hmm. And it's being recycled back into the body, which makes it far more toxic and dangerous, making it those metabolites that are, you know, those, those, uh, estrogens that get more and more toxic as they, as they don't get conjugated well. And, um, you, and a lot of listeners know them as the 16 OH and the 4 OH estrogens that end up going down bad paths and doing naughty things. And they're implicated in dangerous things like cancers, hormone related cancers, and all the symptoms we described earlier, but we need those, you know, we need them in harmony, like the microbiome, you know, we need that H pylori in there. We need that staff. We need all of that stuff. It just needs to be in harmony. And so, um, I would say a lot of women have estrogen dominance these days because xenoestrogens play such a huge role in our environment and they're everywhere. And these are these chemicals that pretend like they're estrogen in our, in our bodies and our body to the receptors recognize them as such, but then they do naughty things, right? They do bad things and they're hard to avoid and they're hard to get rid of and they will take over in the body. And so, and they, they, you know, they're implicated in a lot of estrogenic diseases as well, hormonally related cancers and whatnot. So getting those out of our lives and a lot of it can come out just by eliminating plastic from our lives, any kind of plastic that gets heated, any kind of, you know, that water bottle that sits in your car and you drink right after you get out of the gym, all that stuff, you know, go down that rabbit hole online and start to unload those chemical chemicals out of your life for sure. But that really has an impact. And one of these days, I think Dutch and the technology behind these tests will be able to show us which ones are xenoestrogens. Mm. And they won't just present as like E16 or E4, they'll present as like their own little number, Mm. their own little evil number. And then we can focus on getting those out of our system and see how much of our our dominance is being caused by by these chemicals. So um, what was the end of that was what can we do? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I always say, and this is just a summation and it's like, there's more to it, as you know, is progesterone is the lion tamer and estrogen is the lion and we need them both. And without the lion tamer, that, that lion can wreak havoc on your, you need that lion. We can't demonize the lion. It's not the lion's fault. The lion's just the lion. And we love the lion. The lion gives us, the estrogen gives us full lips and full breasts and gives us babies and gives us all kinds of wonderful things, right? Helps us stave off Alzheimer's. Like there's, we need it. 
but the progesterone is that catabolic um, opposer, right? They're doing the tango all the time. And so I'm always like, what's your progesterone like? Let's talk about progesterone, bringing it up through herbal, you know, remedies, through seed cycling, through foods, through minerals and progesterone supplementation. I'm not afraid of that at all. So that's where I feel like a lot of women need to start digestion and then um, balancing out that estrogen, what's going on. And, and is your progesterone being shunted? Is it being stolen by your high cortisol, your high inflammation? Is it being carried off to make cortisol and testosterone because you've got this elevated, maybe you have PCOS, maybe you have insulin resistance. You have these things that are keeping progesterone from being the lion tamer. It's too busy juggling plates and being like the circus act. Hey, I just made a little picture there. <laughs> a little circus it. of hormones. I love, <laughs> I love that. And if people are like, oh, I mean, the best way to kind of know, because maybe people are listening and they're not sure what their levels are at, you know, the Dutch test is kind of the main go-to that you recommend. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's pricey. So it's certainly sometimes I feel like, you know, don't necessarily jump, jump there. You can start with the things we talked about, you know, and, and, and with resources like yours as well, like so much Ayurvedic stuff that you can do to help begin to just do the right things first. Like what's the point in spending four to $1,200. Some people are charging for the Dutch. I mean, they do like programs with it and stuff, but what's the point if you haven't even addressed those poopy cramps yeah. and the yeah. digestion, if you haven't even started to get rid of the three and four cups of coffee a day, it's no point in spending all that money. There's so much you can do first. And then when you're like, well, you know, the fibroids are still growing and all these issues are still, I'm still infertile. All these things are still lingering then for sure. You know, I think it's a comprehensive test like that, but you got to be ready to do the work because mm -hmm. all it can show you is a mirror. <laughs> you look at the mirror, you go, Oh gosh, I'm recycling my estrogens. I'm not methylating. I'm stressed out. That's all it's going to show you. It's, it's not going to do it for you. So you have to be ready once you spend that money to do the homework. Yeah. That's a great point. That's where, I mean, starting with those lifestyle, I mean, most of the people might have an idea of the one thing that, you know, if they adjusted this, see how that went, um, you know, like the coffee, if people are, you know, drinking coffee all day or wine all night, you know, those are easy things that people might be like, Oh yeah, that's yeah. probably part of the problem. You know, and all of those yeah. memes with like the moms with the coffee and then turns to wine, like <laughs> just that in general is not great for the hormones. Like if you removed, right. even just started with one of those things, you're going to probably see a little yeah. or cut back on it, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or just use like certain days to do. I, I just, as a side note, my husband and I are doing dry January and every time before I take, do a podcast on my own, or I'm on someone's show like this, um, I use my photo booth and I take a picture to make sure my lighting is good and everything. And I don't ever erase them. I just keep them down at the bottom. So there's literally hundreds of photos of myself. <laughs> but I was just looking in the last month since we did the dry January. And I have to show him this because this just happened. I, I, my jaw, I was like, what? My eyes were so glassy and my face was so puffy. And I just, you could see that I was a drinker that I was yeah. drinking and I wasn't doing, you know, I, I feel like it was an acceptable amount of drinking, you know, like maybe like three times a week with, you know, like uh, share a bottle of wine or have a couple of cocktails on a Friday night or whatever, that type of thing, or mimosas on Sunday morning. And just, you know, I felt like it's moderate because everybody does that. 
No, I'm telling you my face, it shows in my face and that, yeah, that's like, I might do dry, dry February too. (laughs) I mean, I've heard of that from another friend who's in the wellness space as well. And she was like, you know, I was going to go back to like two nights a week of drinking. And I don't think I'm going to do that. I might just do two times the whole month and just stick with that. And I told my husband, I was like, I'm only going to do it when I'm like away from the home. I'm like no more at home. Cause he doesn't, my husband's not really a drinker. So if I'm drinking like by myself, usually he's like, no, I don't want anything. So I'm like, all right. So not super fun. So I'm like, okay, if I'm out with friends, that's the time I can have a glass of wine. And so that was kind of my goal for, for this year is, you know, away from the house. So like little things like that, like little parameters. So, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, who knows what it's doing inside oh my gosh. body, right? Oh, my yeah. liver and all that. Yeah. That 3am wake up when you're like, Oh, uh, you know, that's yeah, just- and it disrupts sleep and you know, the whole, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to touch on this because this is something that I had to take recently and I did not want to. And then looking back, I didn't need to, but antibiotics and that messes with gut health. And I had to back in August. Um, and I tested negative for COVID three times, pretty sure it was COVID. Mm-hmm. And they gave me antibiotics for an ear infection that did nothing for the ear infection and then trashed my gut health in the process. So I was like down and out for six weeks, you know, just because I'm like, okay, all the good bacteria I had is now gone and mm-hmm. I'm still battling whatever this is. And so, you know, I, any tips for people who are like, yeah, you know, or their children, like, you know, do you give them antibiotics? What are kind of your thoughts on that? Or if you have to, how do you kind of balance the gut health? Yeah. Gosh, that's a big one because especially now, because, you know, people are like, um, really they're going to the doctor and the doctors, I mean, they were already doing this, but now because people are going to the doctor when they normally may maybe wouldn't, right. That's what they're saying that a lot of these hospital visits are, are, you know, three years ago, two and a half years ago, even you get a really bad flu. How, what percentage of people feel so bad that they go to the the hospital. The percentage is pretty low compared to now people are like scared. And so they're going and what's normally maybe you'd have a a flu and maybe you'd have trouble breathing and you're coughing and a lot. And then three, four days in, you're like, okay, I feel like I turned the corner or even a week in, like, I feel like I turned the corner. Okay, I'm cool. I'm out of it. And you never had an antibiotic but now you're going on the third day because you can't breathe or you feel like you can't breathe. It was really half of its anxiety and you get there. And what do they do? A lot of times they're putting them right on a Z pack. They're like, Oh, you're having some congestion and you're phlegmy Z pack. So now people are getting antibiotics even sooner than they used to. And, you know, like you said, it really decimates your gut health. And what's crazy is What's not being talked about that should be that the CDC should really be talking about is one of the biggest threats to, and this was an article as well as a study, one of the biggest threats to the health of humanity is antibiotic resistance. It's like the top health threat. Mm -hmm. And no one's doing anything about that except for your doctors who are super aware and conscious of that, that that's even going on. Like you just said, I took an antibiotic and it didn't even touch the ear infection. Did your doctor swab your throat and wait for that to come back before he decided you had a viral or bacterial infection and put you on antibiotics when it was viral? Yeah. So how many don't, right? I know. And then that's, I waited and I waited because I'm stubborn. I was like, I don't need to go in. I'm doing all my Ayurvedic things. 
and you know, it was 10 days before I finally, I'm like, I'm starting to lose my hearing. Like wow. something's going on. Like I need to go in. And then, um, I had to go back in a few weeks later cause nothing cleared up. And then my, one of my clients was like, you should make sure you don't have pneumonia just in case. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh gosh. Okay. And then, you know, thankfully that came out, but it took six weeks for this to kind of work its way out. And I'm like, wow, I didn't need those antibiotics. Cause I pretty much, I mean, I felt it. There was one day I was like, I couldn't even get out of bed. Um, you know, cause I was just wiped and I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm sure it was probably all of that, that factor. And I, I mean, that for me is always a last resort, but when it doesn't help, you're like, that yeah. was just a waste. <laughs> right. Well, that's the first thing I would suggest then is to, is to parents and to, you know, just adults, just when you go to the doctor is say, you know, when they do swab your throat is say, can we wait for that culture to come back? Can we get a culture sensitivity test to see which antibiotic, if indeed it is bacterial, which antibiotic would be ideal for what I have, because maybe it's not strong enough, or maybe they give you something that's too big of a gun and you didn't need that. So, but they, you don't see that happening. You know, it's like a Z pack for all, like, you know, just, just, and they just don't even, so this is, that's the big thing. Ask for that culture test to wait, you know, that's one thing you could do. Um, you know, working on the gut health. So when things reflex into your chest, you know, that's always a sluggish colon. So when people get chest infections and they linger, that all that always speaks about, you know, what's going on with elimination. Mm-hmm. They say, they say that the, the colon reflexes into the lungs, the lungs reflex in the colon. People who generally have lung infections and bronchitis and have issues, COPD have issues with their respiratory tract and even, even sinus infections, they almost always have a sluggish bowel or a wet bowel where their body is flooding the bowel with water to get the constipation out, right? So you have these wet poopy stools and that is also can be a form of constipation. And so we have to go back to the gut and work on that. I'm a huge fan of enemas, huge, because mm. water enemas and saltwater enemas and baking soda enemas and, you know, implants like wheatgrass enemas and chlorophyll enema uh, implants, probiotic implants, all these types of things that are super foreign to most people are just another way to uptake nutrition, uptake hydration, and to help to move the bowel. I'm a fan of coffee enemas for some liver support and also to move the bowel. Um, so, you know, I was raised that way. My mom would give us an enema at the first sign of the fever. Well, she would let the fever linger to see if it was going to go up or down, but I was the sickly kid. Right. So she's like, Oh, here we go. So she would have to give me this like usually little pink salt water or, um, or baking soda. And it would take the fever down and it would eliminate the constipation and give me some relief. So it's not foreign to me. I know that's hard for a lot of people to, they're just, they just shut down because they're like, I'm not going to do that. But when you have, when you're faced with these challenges of, do I go to the doctor, get on more antibiotics and continue this cycle and then continue it with my children? Maybe I should start, you know, dipping my toe in the water of some home, old school home remedies. Um, you know, I've been wanting to write a book about that because it's like, okay, how, right Mm -hmm. now, how do we do it? So that, you know, that's things paying attention to um, what they're eating, what you're eating when you're sick and prior to getting sick prevention, making sure that bowel is moving. Digestion is moving. That's really where I would go with that. Yeah. And then what about the probiotic prebiotic debate? Cause I know, you know, everyone's like, oh, I got to take a probiotic. If you're on antibiotics, what's your thought there? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think prebiotics are more important than probiotics. I think uh, they did a study that said that the, the, the onslaught of SIBO in the last five years is due to probiotics mm-hmm. because they're poor quality or they're just not strong enough to do what they're meant to do, which is make their way into the bowel. They stay in the small intestine and then this, the bacteria in there starts to overgrow and now you've got this issue. So I'm a fan of spore-based probiotics, a big fan of those, but I still don't go there with people yet. I wait until they start to do digestive enzymes and hydrochloric acid and heal their stomach lining if they have issues with H. pylori and things like that. And then Um, But the prebiotic is really important. And there is a prebiotic that's safe for SIBO people and it's Mm -hmm. called precision prebiotics. That's on my, on my website. Um, And you can, you know, take those that helps uh, and doesn't aggravate the, the SIBO, but most people can take probiotics, I mean, um, regular prebiotics. And I highly recommend that and, and, and getting it in your food, you know, taking, eating lots of high fiber foods. Um, but I think it's more important actually, because it's really the food for your existing colonies. That's what they really eat. I mean, they eat a lot of stuff, but that's, that's their big food, uh, is the prebiotic fiber. That's what we always learned in our, my Ayurveda school as well as the prebiotic versus the probiotic. And I had a friend who was going to take a probiotic after having a baby. I was like, Oh, why, you know, what are you treating? She's like, I don't know. I read it in a magazine. And I was like, no, uh, I don't think you need it. You yeah, know, like yeah. you're not really, do you don't have anything you're treating? Just no, yeah, just because you read baby? it. Yeah. So right. I'm like, just because you read baby. it doesn't mean you need to take it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the baby prebiotics that they're giving too. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait a minute. So, you know, we know little babies, especially infants don't even have microbes yet. They just have what they're getting from mom's from being born yeah. and then from uh, those hopefully are growing from the, the colostrum and the milk they're getting, but um, they eat the prebiotics too, you know, from what they, that, what they get from their, the milk, they, they have to have these high fat, high sugar content, but also as that micro, they don't have a full microbial balance until they're already like three months, I think, right? Like they don't even have their own ecosystem until they're three months. And they're, and I see them selling baby probiotics. I'm like, how in the world? Everything to make a book. Yeah. Yeah. So that might've sounded like give your baby prebiotics. That's not what I meant to say. (laughs) Don't don't do that. Give your body, give your baby probiotics, prebiotics actually. (laughs) Well, I love that. Um, So I would love to know people are like, where can I connect with Kitty and maybe work with you? Where can they find you at? Oh, cool. Yes. I am on, I'm healthygutgirl.com. And I have um, my Instagram is probably my most active place that I post concise information that's useful and recipes and things like that. Um, and that's um, healthy gut girl underscore. And you can't forget the underscore because I've been shadow banned many times and you'll find 20 other healthy gut girls and they're not me. Okay. So you have to put the underscore and, um, and yeah. And then my podcast stuff, your doctor should know is on all podcast platforms. Um, and then I have a gift for your listeners, which is um, healthygutgirl.com slash gift. And that has some gut-friendly foods, a list from my last book or my previous book before that of gut-friendly foods to help you with that digestion gut journey um, and some other, some other ideas and fun stuff. Perfect. I'll put all of that in the show notes. 
Right. All right. Well, I just have one final question for you. And I always have the, the guest throw out the daily or the daily, the weekly challenge. It could be daily, I guess, if you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you like the weekly challenge to be for everyone this week? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay. I think I, I just always try to keep things very simple. So um, because we don't know where everyone is, right? So I'm not going to be like your 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 um, your challenge for the week is a coffee enema. <laughs> so no, maybe some of you. But no, um, the challenge for the week I think would be to look rather than going through your your kitchen and I'm going to do something new and start getting rid of all the sugar. Let's say, how about go through your cupboards and just look at things that you can just upgrade the quality of that thing, right? So say you're a peanut butter fan. Peanut butter is not good for you, no matter how you slice it. It's sorry, it's just not. Even organic, it just has natural molds in it, mycotoxins that aren't good for you. They always have additives. Once you crush a peanut, it, the oil starts to oxidize. So it's just not great. So look at that peanut butter at the little jar of Jiffy and say, you know what? I'm going to do some organic raw almond butter. Yes, it's expensive, but you shouldn't be eating three and four tablespoons of peanut butter of any nut butter anyway, right? You should be reducing the amount of nut butter you consume and you can increase the quality of it. And that's going to be tremendous. So look at all of your kitchen and cupboards. Can I increase the quality? Okay. I'm eating these non-organic strawberries. Can I afford to do some organic strawberries next time? you know, start to think, don't get rid of all my stuff and pull the the tablecloth from underneath everything, but instead just increase the quality, you know, of what you're consuming. Are you drinking tap water? Consider upgrading your quality of water, things like that. Those things can take you very, very far, you know, um, potato chips, find some kind of snack that doesn't have those, those refined oils in it that isn't fried like that find something that just increase the quality. That's the challenge. I could go deeper, but that's the idea. (laughs) No, I love that. And that's, I mean, I think if all of us did that in general, like we all have areas that we could improve on. And, you know, even looking at your water, I bought a Berkey for my birthday um, this past year and I love it. And like, you know, my brother-in-law came over and he was like, how much was this? You know? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's a little pricey, but it's like, this is for years and years and years. So he tries it and he was like, huh, Okay. I do notice the difference. I'm like, I know, see, yeah. worth the investment. I'm like, and for as much water, I should have bought an even bigger one. Cause I have, you know, it's just my husband, my son and I, and I'm like, I should have bought a bigger one. Cause we go through water like no other. And yeah. so, you know, that's a great investment. If people are like, Oh, how can I upgrade my water? You know, getting great, something that's like a that. Great one. Yeah. Because that's something you do every, every single day. Yes. And look at everything that way. How can I upgrade my sleep? Maybe mm-hmm. I'll turn my Wi-Fi off every night. How can I upgrade, you know, um, all, all, everything can, you can upgrade just about everything you do. Yes. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom, Kitty. It was such a pleasure to get to meet you and chat with you today. Oh, that was really fun. Thanks for inviting me. It was very good. I love your show. I love what you do. And you. Um, yeah, thank Aww. you. Thank you. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.